Frontier Missions Journal. Stories of hope for the unreached with Adventist Frontier Missions. Thank you, I whisper. At least now, I understand why everyone seems to hate me right now. A look of sympathy comes into his eyes. This is just the way we are, he says with a laugh. This is another one of the reasons that all the others who came before you either gave up or failed to reach the tailweed. Remember, I've been telling you about them. Let's see. There's the one who left because of continual sickness. Then there's the one who left because of a moral failing. One just left, we don't know why. Another got so sick of the people always using and abusing him that he cursed us all and left. I remember, I say holding up my hand. I distinctly remember each missionary who failed and the reasons why they did. Missionary life isn't for the weak or the weak-willed. It's tough, especially in the jungle villages. John Holbrook, missionary to the Talbot people on the island of Mindoro, Philippines, shares a brief segment from his journal outlining the demands of mission work and the determination needed to stay the course. His story is titled, Carry On, Soldier. All of Niagara seems to roar in my ears as I slowly try to stand up. Thousands of black spots appear out of nowhere and threaten to block out my vision. Quickly leaning over, I tense my abdomen, trying to keep from passing out. The man who had called me just moments before stands in the doorway of my dilapidated hut and chuckles at my predicament. What's up, he asks with a grin. See something interesting on the floor? I'm not amused. After being up from midnight until two in the morning caring for an emergency patient, followed by a non-stop stream of people on my porch all day, each with some pressing need, I haven't much humor left. Carefully avoiding the rotten areas of the floor, I make my way to the porch and lean against the wall. After two rainy seasons, the posts supporting my house have started to give way. The whole house now leans downhill at a crazy angle, forcing me to stand hunched over while the wall seems to bear down on me. What can I do for you? I ask quietly. Well, you see, it's like this. My kids don't like the food I brought home. Will you give me 500 pesos to buy something tasty for them? I sit for a moment trying to control my thoughts. I want to say, well, if you'd repay me for the three other times I loaned you money, and if you'd deliver the roofing grass that I bought from you a month ago, And if this wasn't the fifth time this week that you've come to me asking for money, then maybe I'd be a little bit more sympathetic. Instead, I take a a deep breath and reply, I'm sorry, I simply don't have enough right now. But my kids are crying, the man counters. Just give me 300. Sorry, I can't, I groan. My stomach is beginning to cramp. I've felt this feeling far too many times in the last few months. The bomb is ticking, and I only have about 30 seconds to a minute to get to a bathroom. Oh, the man looks miffed. You can't? 
As he speaks, he looks past me into what's left of my hut. A single LED light that I've rigged up to run off of a small solar panel hangs from a rafter. I can almost hear him thinking to himself. He says he can't, but he has an electric light and I don't. It doesn't matter that just yesterday he spent 2,000 pesos of welfare money the government gave him in a wild spree of expensive restaurants, toys, and cell phones. I have a light bulb, and he doesn't. Therefore, I am culturally obligated to give him what he asks for. Please, just 100, he tries again, a dark look on his face. By this point, I can barely hear him. The pain in my stomach is so intense. Sorry, no, I replied through gritted teeth. I'm not sure I'm going to make it. The man abruptly turns around and leaves without saying a single word, a very rude gesture in his culture. Following him off the porch, I make a mad dash for the gulch. The only bathroom in the entire village is a hundred yards away, and there hasn't been any water in the village for two weeks, which of course hasn't stopped the kids from filling the toilet bowl to overflowing. Thankfully it's night and I can hide in the gulch near the house, rather than running a quarter mile to the nearest section of forest. It looks like once again I'll have to take a course of the wretchedly bitter medicine that is prescribed for this particular type of gastrointestinal distress. Half an hour later I make my way back to the house, white as a sheet and shaking. A church member is waiting for me. Brother, he dresses me gravely, I have something to say to you. Say on, I reply, curled up on the floor, too weak to sit. The entire church is angry at you and gossiping about you. You know the wood you hired Ernie to haul here to rebuild your house? Well, you gave the entire job to him instead of dividing it up a board or two to each person. So now everyone is mad at you and at Ernie. And that's why no one would talk to you at prayer meeting earlier this evening. I just thought you ought to know. Thank you, I whisper. At least now I understand why everyone seems to hate me right now. A look of sympathy comes into his eyes. This is just the way we are, he says with a laugh. This is another one of the reasons that all the others who came before you either gave up or failed to reach the tubweed. Remember, I've been telling you about them. Let's see. There's the one who left because of continual sickness. Then there's the one who left because of a moral failing. One just left, we don't know why. Another got so sick of the people always using and abusing him that he cursed us all and left. I remember, I say holding up my hand. I distinctly remember each missionary who failed and the reasons why they did. Okay, brother, the man says with a slightly worried look on his face. Well, you must be tired. I'll let you rest. I'll be going now. I don't move. The ever-present ants have started crawling around my face and up my pants, and I am too miserable to care. My stomach, seeing that diarrhea hasn't succeeded in clearing out the latest batch of bugs, decides that maybe vomiting would work better, and I am overcome by a sudden wave of nausea. This is ridiculous, I think to myself. What have I accomplished in the two years that I've been here now? I've saved some lives with my, my medicines. But for what? To continue on as they always have? I've helped unify the church in this village, bringing them back to a foundation of Christ and to start a missionary program. But has anything happened? Every time we get close, someone gets cold feet. 
someone else backs out because I won't give him a water buffalo, or everyone simply stays home because they don't feel like getting up. Missionaries have been trying to reach the Taubwait since the 1950s. What makes me feel that I will succeed where they failed? Maybe I should just call it quits and go somewhere else. The darkness creeps in around me. An ant bites my cheek and tears well up in my eyes. The Highlanders don't even want me here. They've tried their best to kick me out from day one. I know from watching the veterans that these diseases, if allowed to continue recurring, will break me and leave me permanently weak. Is it worth it? Why should I force so much misery on myself? But deep down inside, I already know the answer. With no one but the angels to witness, I begin whispering into the dark, moldy night. I have made a vow. The Lord has unmistakably called me, from my sophomore year of high school to this day, to work for the salvation of the Taubweed. I have vowed that I will not relent until the work is accomplished, or the Lord removes me from it. Those who have gone before me have shown the way, and it's a bloody, painful way. But it is the only way that the Taubweed will be reached, the Taubweed that Jesus himself bled and died for. This. This is the real reason why I'm here. Jesus suffered more than I ever could to take away the curse that I deserve and to give me a life of eternal happiness. And he who loved me said, Take up the cross and follow me. Once again I vow to never give up, never back down, so long as you give me the strength to endure. I have no peace, no sudden deliverance. The pain and nausea continue. But as my whisper dies, I seem to hear a voice. Or is it just my own mind? It says gently, carry on, soldier, carry on. The mission field needs people like you to keep spreading the word of God, especially to those who have never heard the good news of Jesus and will never hear unless someone goes to tell them. If you or someone you know are feeling called by God, don't hesitate. Give your life in mission service today. For more information, point your browser to afmonline.org and select Get Involved. For the remainder of today's mission journal, let's cross the ocean to Southeast Asia in our Great River People Project. Boaz Church spends much of his time witnessing to this Muslim people group using medical missions. By meeting the physical needs of the people, opportunities abound to share the gospel that otherwise might be impossible. In the following story, a man gives Boaz a cry for help that very well might have been his last plea. Boaz calls the story Musa's Desperate Situation. Please help me. I haven't been able to use the bathroom for three days and I'm scared, he said with tears in his voice. We were visiting a far-off village, helping a relative of one of our neighbors, when this 60-year-old Muslim man climbed up the stairs and entered the little house on stilts, wanting help too. The man pulled Boaz aside and told him his problem. I had surgery a few months ago, and something went wrong, he said. 
The only way I can urinate usually is by pushing in on my stomach very hard, and even then only a little comes out, but now I can't go at all. I tried to go back and get it fixed, but they turned me away because I'm out of money. I have sold my cows so that I could afford my surgery and have nothing left. Please help me, Musa pleaded again. As I listened to Musa's problem and sensed his fear, I knew that we had to do something for this desperate man. Jesus' words came to my mind, Him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. A deep sense of relief flooded Musa's face as he realized Boaz would help him. The churches prayed for him in Jesus' name. And we set a date to make the three-and-a-half-hour journey to the hospital to see what my urologist friend could do to help him. At the hospital, a CT scan revealed that Musa had urethral damage that needed surgery fast. The surgery went well, and Musa was able to relieve himself again. He continues to go to the hospital for checkups to make sure that things are progressing well. Musa is one of the many people that we have been privileged to help. One of the ways we have sought to share God's love is by praying to God as a friend with and for our sick patients. Our Muslim friends generally speak to God with memorized prayers, and we sense an interest when we pray the way we do. There are times also when people ask us if we are Muslim. I usually say that we are close to Islam, but a little different. I like to share that we believe in the Creator God, like they do, and that we even share a similar health message. I also let them know that we believe in the prophets, such as Moses and Joseph. The difference is, though, that we follow Jesus closely. There is something special about Him. His birth was special, and He loved people and healed the sick like no other, I typically say. I am amazed at the general positive reflections of my friends as I speak of Jesus in this way, and look forward to the day when they can know the same Jesus that we know. Thank you for making a difference in these precious people's lives through your prayers and financial support.